community as we do the challenging and beautiful work of living into a liberating and joyful gospel on behalf of the world and on behalf of each of ourselves. Whether you're making your way from the elevator or the front door, through all the hallways, the labyrinth, and finding your way here and settling in, or you're joining us online, however you're joining us online from wherever you may be this day, we hope that you know that you are loved by this community, that you are loved by a God who means for you to find life and joy and love. And we hope that you find yourselves ready to lean into our sacred conversation today. As you know, we've entered into a summer series over these last few weeks entitled Unbanned, a series on what and who is at stake and why people of faith should care. So far, we've talked about what it means to pay attention to and love and understand more deeply the experience of gender expansive lives. We've talked about the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs on college campuses and how we're watching in real time the way in which they are being banned from the public square. And we are watching the ways in which the tightening grip of censorship continues to ban freedom of thought, imagination, and real bodies in public life. So this morning we're going to get a bit into the history of kind of how that has happened and how in so many ways evangelical Christians, Christians of many stripes, Christians who understand themselves as Christian nationalists are at the forefront of excluding, banning, rejecting ideas and real lives. So it matters for us as a community that calls ourselves Christian to understand what is happening, how it's been happening, and how we might faithfully respond. So we have the gift this morning of getting to hear from Devin Withrow, who's been visiting with us all summer and has been also alongside that, is here this summer amidst um, graduate school and seminary and has been working with the BJC, the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty. So we're grateful to have a couple of BJC faces here this morning with us. If you see them taking pictures, it's okay. Um, they're doing it on behalf of the BJC, and we're just really excited to get to more deeply engage this conversation this morning. Thank you to you, Devin. Devin is actually on his way out the door, headed back to graduate school, like I think literally today, um, but stuck it out for one more day to be able to gather with us this morning and share his wisdom and learning from this past summer. So this morning, we invite you to keep taking that deep breath to prepare mind and spirit for, and body for this sacred conversation and what we have to learn today. And I invite you to go ahead and stand and maybe stretch out and center down. And let us sing this song together, one that you, I think, know well. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And so this morning, we're paying attention to what do we mean by one? What is this oneness? What is it that makes us one? The content of what makes us one matters quite a lot. So as we unpack that, let's sing together.
We come to you, O God, to ask for help and restoration. We come to you, O God, with aching hearts and glass souls. Let us worship God. Let us worship the God of justice and love. Good morning, and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Corina Lopez, and I am the deacon of the I am here for additional support throughout the week. My email is in the bulletin. Feel free to email me. If you have any concern, need someone to talk with, or just would have something to, you would like to someone to pray for you or with you. Now please join the peace. The peace of the Lord be with you. The paz del Señor sea contigo. Please share with me. Maybe they're in a family that's not religious at all. And that 
okay. There's a family that we've been, so many people in this room have been helping. They have a lot of children. Maybe you met them. They used to live in Afghanistan. They live here now. And their religion is Islam. And we've been working to help them. And so many people have been doing beautiful things. Do you know what? Regardless of what our religion is, obviously we don't even know what it is, right? Like, we can still be friends and play together and eat together and live in the same country. I think maybe you have a lot to teach us about being friends with people who might be different from you. And I think we can learn from you and honor each other. Let's pray together. God of love, we thank you for the many names you go by and the ways that we can honor you and one another even still. Amen. You can go to your classes now. You're even going to get to have snacks in your classes today, okay? Now is the time our where we share our tithes and offerings so we can continue the good work that we're doing here today. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
y engrandeceré tu nombre y serás bendición. Bendeciré a los que te bendijeren y a los que te maldijeren maldeciré. Y serás bendita en ti todas las familias de la tierra. It takes a little bit for it to... Check. Hello? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you have to share? Yeah, for right now. It takes a little bit to load. Check, check. Um, first of all, I mostly wanted to say I about have heard that another three times through. Thank you. I think that offers, this is my song, offers the blessing, I think, and holds the space for what I already know because we've had a chance to process it together, but the conversation that we're holding today, um, and even though I know it's going to be challenging, unpacking, what, especially as you've been bearing witness, as you spent this summer alongside the BJC, what you, the, your intake, right? What you are seeing and hearing and experiencing, we still are capable of holding sacred space for an alternative imagination for this country and for the world. And so I, 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 I don't know, I just, I sense it in this moment. So thank you both for holding that creating that space in song. Hello, Devin. You came to 
do a BJC internship and then you found your way to Calvary and then one night in Theology on Draft, I'm like, hey, I'm cooking up this series. You want to talk? <laughs> You're like, we don't know each other yet, but sure. Um, so thank you for pretty immediately saying yes and then uh, allowing us some really rich space to be in conversation with each other. I kind of want to get right to it, if that's okay. I think I've introduced you. And so I want to start here with actually the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty, the BJCs. I'm going to say BJC for short the rest of the way. But the BJC's definition of Christian nationalism. And we're going to get to and unpack later white Christian nationalism. We're going to get to why that adjective matters. Christian nationalism is a cultural framework. So stay with me. I'm going to try to go slow. Christian nationalism is a cultural framework that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. Christian nationalism contends that America has been and should always be distinctively Christian from top to bottom in its self-identity, interpretations of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies. And it aims to keep it that way. Are we tracking? Yeah, you're tracking. But the Christian in Christian nationalism is more about identity than religion. It carries with it, sort of an important final sentence, it carries with it assumptions about nativism, white supremacy, authoritarianism, patriarchy, and militarism. I find this a really helpful definition and welcome again. Could you unpack it for us? Yes, uh, so thank you for the invitation to have this conversation with you, and thank you to all of you for the space that this church has been for me this summer. Um, it's been a real gift to be here. So I'll start, yes, with breaking down this definition a little bit. Christian nationalism suggests that to be a good American, one must be a Christian, typically of a certain set of narrow theological perspectives. And to be a good Christian, one must hold a certain set of political views. So Christian nationalism asserts that the US is a distinctively Christian nation. It thrives on the narrative that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, and it perpetuates that myth by defining, defining founding framers as devout Christians. Um, it often also asserts that the Ten Commandments are the founding values upon which our Constitution was written, and it suggests that Christianity was the only relevant religion at the founding of our nation, and that folks either weren't concerned or weren't aware of other religious groups. And we know, of course, that that is untrue. We have specific examples. For one, Thomas Jefferson's Quran can be found in the Library of Congress, so we know that at least he was aware of other religions. We also have the writings of early Baptists who advocated for the religious freedom of all religious groups, naming such groups as Jews, Islam, Hindus, and others. Um, so we know without a doubt that other religions were around at the founding of our country and that these people that we look to as founders were aware of them. So though in terms of population, Christianity was the majority, other groups were always present and then Christian nationalism aims to keep the nation distinctively Christian. That happens through public policy, school curriculum, book bannings, through even violence sometimes, like what we saw in the January 6th insurrection. Christian nationalism wants to make sure that Christians maintain a privileged status in our country. And those who adhere to the ideology would do almost anything to maintain that power. And then we also say that Christian nationalism is more identity than religion. Christian nationalism is not so concerned with espousing Jesus or anything that Jesus taught as it is with accumulating power and privilege for a certain group, which is white, conservative, and typically Protestant Christians. So by privileging this group and identity, 
others are harmed and marginalized in our country. People of color, the LGBTQ plus community, women, other religious groups, immigrants, refugees. So Christian nationalism is not pro-democracy. Adherents will and are doing anything they can to build this nation in their image. And then to the second part of your question, um, which is kind of how does it play out a little bit on the ground. Um, Christian nationalism manifests in many ways. One of the common things that we see often that some of you may already be familiar with is the American flag flying in church sanctuaries. It's fairly common. I went to a mega church when I was a teenager with my family, and the flag was often present. And on certain holidays, like July 4th, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, um, the entire worship service was centered around the flag and around the nation, and it often really blurred the lines between worshiping God and worshiping the country. And then I also went to a private Christian high school, and in that high school we had a weekly chapel service, and at the start of every chapel, we would swear the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, and then we would swear a pledge to the Christian flag. This was also the first time, <laughs> yes, and it was the first time that I ever even knew there was a Christian flag or a Christian pledge. Um, and I didn't really learn what the implications of that practice were until much later. But I think it's notable that the pledge to the American flag came first before the Christian one. So that's a very, fairly common sight. Another manifestation is rhetoric conflating allegiance to certain political figures with allegiance to God. You might hear this from actual politicians, um, but also in church and maybe in your family. Often uh, you'll hear quoted Romans 13, 1 and 2, which says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists what God has appointed, sorry, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist it will incur judgment. And notably, you'll never hear people quote this about a politician of the opposite party. You won't hear a Republican say about a Democrat who gets elected, nor a Democrat when a Republican is elected. And in addition to these narratives, uh, Christian nationalism has some many more um, harmful and even violent manifestations. It's essential, for one, to name that Christian nationalism, as you mentioned earlier, is linked with racism and white supremacy. Part of our statement from Christians Against Christian Nationalism says that Christian nationalism often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy. So we absolutely believe that white supremacy and Christian nationalism are interwoven. Um, Dr. Jamar Tisby, who was a guest on a podcast series we did on the dangers of Christian nationalism, has spoken about and written about white Christian nationalism. Dr. Tisby connects it with the racism and white supremacy and white nationalism of the KKK. So he notes that anyone can buy into the ideology, regardless of race, um, but it's always an ideology that promotes whiteness, white normativity, white supremacy. So he defines white supremacy as the story that we tell that the amount of melanin in one's skin is actually an indicator of their existential worth and their value. And in that narrative, Dr. Tisby explains what is white or what is coded as white is deemed superior at the center, while the rest is peripheral. So in white Christian nationalism, Dr. Tisby says, God's people is not a biblical people who follow Jesus, um, but it's a nation of the United States defined as God's people and therefore has a special place in the world. So Christian identity becomes white American identity. So for an illustration, Dr. Tisby writes in his book, The Color of Compromise, about the 1915 revival of the KKK as an example of white Christian nationalism. So a white man who was a former Methodist preacher took a group of his friends up to Stone Mountain in Georgia, and there they burned a cross they built an altar, which is itself a religious symbol, and on the altar they placed a Bible and an American flag. And that symbolism of that play is very obviously joining white identity and religious nationalism together. So these ideas are embedded within Christian nationalism, and they have an effect on all aspects of our public life. Yeah, I think I want to kind of reread Tiffany's definition of white supremacy. The story that we tell 
of the amount of melanin in one's skin is actually an indicator of their existential worth and their value. So then when like augmented, amalgamated over and over again among white Christian Americans, the, the right that the story that builds becomes bigger and bigger and bigger about white Christian America's existential value and superiority in this country. And we'll get to how it is a deeply organized movement at this time. Um, okay, so more particularly, so so that's a we've got de definition, I think, a sense of what white Christian nationalism is, how we would kind of see it in a room or see it in a space, or, or what words we might hear, or um, whether they're being whether it's dog whistles or not, sort of like what we the substance of it. Um, and even a bit of the history and its adjacence to really problematic movements, white supremacy, patriarchy, etc. Particularly, though, in this series, we're focusing on um, the uh, quote that, that Bryce uses on the tightening grip of censorship in the public square. So can you say more about this connection between a whole lot of things right now being banned and Christian nationalism. I, I know that in one sense it, it sort of seems pretty obvious, like, well, yeah, of course. But I, I, again, what we're trying to do in this series is really slow things down and see better. So in, in, in an effort to do that, in an effort to sort of slow down and pay attention, walk us through some of those connections. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are kind of three specific areas that I'll point to. And I'll just note that we're really just scratching the surface here a little bit. There is, I think, so much more to talk about. But I'll cover some particulars here. So public education is one space that's really important. And it's a key area that we at BGC are always paying attention to. And Christian nationalism is absolutely a threat to that space. So we see it in the banning of books, banning curriculum and ideas and teaching these cherry-picked histories of our country that I already kind of mentioned. So, for one, is the Christian nation myth that I've already talked about. Adherents to Christian nationalism want to teach that misleading version of American history. So, founding frameworks like Washington and Jefferson are turned into the devout Christians instead of acknowledging their really complicated relationships with religion. And it asserts that these folks wanted to found America as a nation privileging Christianity. And we also see examples of curriculum that's being banned. Classes, for example, that teach about racism and discrimination based on race throughout history are banned. So any teaching about those subjects is labeled with that boogeyman of critical race theory. And so in Florida, I think it's a great, well not great, but a uh, pointed example of this happening. So uh, the AP African American History course was banned in the past year. Additionally, if I can pause right here to note, uh, spoiler alert, next week, that's where, where we'll be focusing our attention, is the way in which America's racialized history is being banned. So I mean, that will be our focus next Yes, and in addition to that, Florida passed what has come to be called the Don't Say Gay Bill, which bans the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade classrooms. And then while these ideas are being banned, other curriculum is being added. For example, um, the governor of Florida pushed that um, students be taught that African Americans benefited from skills they learned while enslaved, which is now going to become part of Florida's curriculum. And Florida also, public school curriculum. Yes. Yes, this is public schools where the vast majority of students of all identity markers are being educated. And then Florida also recently allowed Prager U curriculum to be taught in their public schools. And if you don't know, Prager U, started by Dennis Prager, is an organization that creates curriculum and content that promotes far-right conservative ideas. And so I don't think it's hard to see how these curriculum battles are really going to bring harm to students of all backgrounds. Um, and then in addition to curriculum battles, there are book bans that narrow the kind of books that are permissible, that cherry pick our history and our literature, 
and they give an incomplete history of our nation. And uh, as we've discussed a little bit earlier in the series, these these bannings of books target specifically people of color and queer lives. Um, and it's all for the sake of the children that we ban anything that's deemed as woke. So another uh, key area that we see is this group called Moms for Liberty. They are the leading group behind many of the book bans and curriculum bans that we see happening. And they are have been labeled as an extremist extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Originally, they were born as a group opposing COVID-19 regulations early in the pandemic, uh, but they've grown far beyond that, and they combat what they call woke indoctrination of our children. So they've been alarmingly effective organizers and grown really quickly over the last few years. Within two years of their founding, they reported having 250 chapters in 42 states, and they lobby for specific legislation. They were one of the key groups behind Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. And they advocated school board meetings, endorsed school board chaplains all over, or school board candidates, sorry, all over the place, and they host educational summits. And their battle looks like labeling teachers and librarians as groomers. They seek to prevent LGBTQ plus folks from teaching or interacting with children and they label those people as groomers simply on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And they also will show up at school board meetings and they will stand up and read excerpts from books with no context around it just to uh, alarm other parents. And it's all under the guise of parental rights and protecting children. So their attacks often focus particularly on queer lives. They target gender identity, the use of pronouns, gender expansive lives, gender affirming care, anything that would expand and protect the rights of the LGBTQ plus community. And so their war on queer lives extends also to businesses and legislation that would expand the LGBTQ plus community's rights. Um, but their attacks are not just limited to that area. They also attack education on racism and white supremacy, as I've already talked about a little bit. They've publicly criticized Martin Luther King Jr., calling him anti-American and anti-white. And they attack also anything that they deem to be socialism. And they often use really violent rhetoric as well when they speak at school board meetings. For example, a woman named Melissa Bosch was indicted for terrorist threats to faculty and staff of the school, and she recorded herself musing about bending down a librarian. So they're not a harmless group of people. They use extremely violent rhetoric. And another example, the Indiana chapter of Monster Liberty quoted Adolf Hitler uh, which they were later criticized for, and I believe did uh, put out an apology. But nonetheless, they are uh, using violence and dangerous history to promote their agenda. And they don't hide that extremism. And everything that they do is rooted in promoting uh, Christian nationalism. They want public schools to promote Christianity and to privilege Christians in the public sphere. And then the third area that we see a lot of work happening in is this thing called Project Blitz. Project Blitz is a coordinated effort to draft and pass bills at federal and at state levels to promote Christian nationalism. It seeks to inject religion into all aspects of public life. And it's a state legislative campaign of the Christian right. And it's a manual of over 100 pages long of best practices, arguments, and model bills that state legislators can use to promote what they call Judeo-Christian values. And I'll also just pause here to note that Judeo-Christian values should just be kind of a red flag that you watch out for in public conversation. Um, it kind of tries to merge Jewish and Christian identity without acknowledging the differences between the two, um, that even in the text that we share, there is major diversity in the way we interpret those texts. And even Judaism and Christianity in themselves are quite diverse, and there's not one homogenous identity for either one. Uh, so the types of model bills that Project Blitz promotes are things like posting the motto, In God We Trust, in public spaces, especially in schools, uh, Ten Commandments displays in public places, by literacy classes in public schools, 
And then there are also bills that target civil rights, targeting people of color, the LGBTQ plus community, reproductive rights, and then another thing called conscious cloth bills that seek religious exemptions from discrimination laws on certain issues. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of what actually gets passed by uh, groups who take these bills and project lists, but they're all focused on promoting the vision in the public sphere, and they all hit on this idea that the United States was founded as a Christian nation. So just for a few statistics, in the 2022-23 legislative term, Project Bliss supported 53 bills across 25 states, and half of those bills targeted public schools. So for a few examples, there was a bill in Arkansas that is one of these conscious clause bills that really seeks to promote the fullest possible extent of the free exercise of religion um, to the point of discrimination based on religious belief. A bill in Louisiana that requires posting the motto in God we trust in all public school classrooms, and then a pair of bills in Tennessee that requests a redesign of the state seal to incorporate the motto in God we trust. So Project Blitz is working hard to reinterpret the separation of church and state, and there are issues that affect all sorts of people across the country but it's all framed as religious freedom. Um, so it's really driving the public conversation a lot, and it's really driving the terms of debate around this issue of Christian nationalism. Yeah, and just to even speak to, you're, you're, you're pointing out that Project Blitz is reinterpreting the separation of church and state, similar to Moms for Liberty. There's this concerted effort to sort of reinterpret history and reinterpret this moment, that this is this is what God would want, this is what we should want as a people is for kind of our religious and social imagination to to win, right? To to be to be the country's moral imagination. And I and I'm pausing there to kind of Go back to and note the scripture that Anna read for us this morning in Genesis, right? It might feel like a bit of an odd one to throw in the service. <laughs> well, you know, um, go from your relatives to the land I'll show you. I will make you a great nation. But this was pretty intentional because as you referenced, Romans 13 is often a go-to passage. This one in Genesis is undoubtedly a go-to passage for Christian nationalists as well. And it's a perfect example of what taking a text out of context and sort of utilizing it for your own aim looks like, right? So taking this scripture and saying, look, it's, it's right here. It's right here in Genesis 12. God says, I'll make you a great nation. America, well, okay, it doesn't say America, but I'll make you a great nation, America. Right, so what, what happens is when we don't interpret the text, Thoughtfully, when we interpret it in sort of ways that simply intend for our uh, persistent and malicious gain of power and domination, we are misreading the sacred book, right? Um, and and so I, I and, and 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 we have white Christians absolutely have used texts like this, pointed to them, and said. This is what this is what I mean. This is God's blessing over our country, and we should be doing everything we can to keep kind of incurring this blessing from God. But again, in context, this is a scripture about a displaced people who are trying to make their way through and in a world that is dominating them. It's a displaced people looking for space in a world that is dominating them. So God, in context, is simply offering a, a, a gentle blessing, right, in this moment to say, I, I, I will cohere you. I will care for you. I will tend you. It's why I intended for us to read this scripture in Spanish this morning. So that your ears wouldn't just hear it in American English, if you will, right? That you need to hear it another way. That you need to hear it in context through the through the voice of displaced people. 
So again, text and context, right? Um, so more generally, as we, as we unpack and seek to place our text in context, as we're paying attention this moment, I think you've given us some very clear, particular details. And in some ways, they may feel like, okay, it's just a sign here or a plaque there. But, right, but the intention is so much deeper. Um, and I think it really speaks to Salima's point in the first week about public spaces, right? And the taking, the owning, the dominating of them, the turning them into one thing. So that, so that the public imagination feels as though that one thing is what owns that space, right? Um, so I'm wondering then, amidst all this, can you tell us what BJC is up to, their response to Christian nationalism? What are some examples of spaces that BJC is entering, addressing, to counter the effects of white Christian nationalism in public thought? And then maybe we'll get to some hope in So when it became apparent to BJC, uh, to us, that white Christian nationalism was a threat both to our democracy and to our faith, we began the Christians Against Christian Nationalism campaign in 2019. And in conversation with some interfaith partners of ours, we decided that it needed to be confronted by Christians specifically. These partners expressed some concern and fear of trying to address it themselves. And so we forged a, an explicitly Christian response to Christian nationalism. So we composed a statement, which you can read and find online, but I'll have some flyers if you want to read it later as well during the coffee hour. Christians Against Christian Nationalism is a nationwide grassroots campaign. We have signers from every congressional district across the country. And we recently passed 34,000 signers to the statement. And BJC has been working in many spaces to confront Christian nationalism. We do speaking engagements like this one, um, educating people on what Christian nationalism is and why it's dangerous is one essential part of dismantling it. And we also have many digital resources at our websites, bjconline.org and christiansagainstchristiannationalism.org that anyone can use. There's a downloadable curriculum that advocates can use to guide their congregations or their communities through conversations about Christian nationalism. And then we also do some digital organizing. Um, we use digital tools to help us find people, uh, build relationships and connect with them and build people power for this campaign. And so we do this in many ways through social media, sign-on letters for specific campaigns, digital resources like the ones I already named, and then we have trainings and webinars online as well. And also in partnership with the Freedom From Religion Foundation, BJC released a comprehensive report on the January 6th insurrection and how Christian nationalism fueled that attack. And it's still the most comprehensive report of its kind. Um, we believed that Christian nationalism was undoubtedly one of the motivating factors and ideologies behind the event, um, but it was not being reported on. It was not found in the media, and we decided that something needed to be said. Um, on December 13th our, of last year, our executive director, Amanda Tyler, was invited to testify in Congress on the dangers of Christian nationalism and white supremacy as threats to our democracy. Earlier this year in May, Amanda Tyler and Bethany Graves Fitzsimmons, who is our communications director, uh, went to the Trump Doral Resort in Miami during the Reawaken America tour. And alongside some other Christian leaders, they provided a counter witness to the Christian nationalism that was being peddled by the tour. Um, and we also had a billboard boat floating the river that had our campaign, Christians Against Christian Nationalism, with a QR code that people could scan to go read the statement and learn more about what other Christians are doing in the world versus what Reawaken America was doing. And currently, we have some localized efforts going on in North Texas. So in addition to Florida, where I talked about earlier, Texas is another area where we're paying attention to a lot of things that are going on. And so we have some grassroots organizing efforts that we're beginning there to educate and mobilize faith leaders and people in the North Texas community to dismantle Christian nationalism. We closely followed a couple of pieces of legislation earlier this year. One of them was a bill proposing the Ten Commandments being posted in public school classrooms across the state to promote Judeo-Christian values. Um, 
we were glad to see that that one actually died on the floor and didn't make it to a vote. A second bill, which did pass, allows school districts to vote on whether to hire or accept volunteer chaplains alongside their school counselor programs. The only requirement for those chaplains is that they can pass a criminal background check, so virtually anybody who just uses the title chaplain can get in, get a position in one of these programs. So we're really concerned, one, that this allows for religious indoctrination of children in public schools, but we're also concerned for the actual safety of children, as even trained certified chaplains often are not uh, trained in the same way that school counselors are, such as like mental health services and public safety trainings. So in partnership with uh, some Texas partners and Texas chaplains, we have written a letter that Texas-based chaplains are signing and will be sent to school boards as they begin to vote on whether to allow this uh, program into specific districts. And so our hope is that schools will vote no and they'll start voting in September. Um, so that's just a few examples of some of the many different projects that we are working on, but it also requires the work of individual communities on the ground efforts. Um, so we are limited as one campaign, but we have many partners all over the country, and it's with the help of people like you that we can continue doing the work of dismantling Christian nationalism. And in many ways, some of it is just inserting into public discourse that, that that this is white Christian nationalism fueling much of what we're seeing, right? Just even connecting the dots as we're trying to do in this space, it doesn't always happen, right? The dots aren't connected, which I think BJC works hard to point out. No, I mean, this is source, this is part of the, this is at some level at the heart of the mobilization issue. I also love the creative resistance and imagination of the billboard boat floating in quality. Um, so a high and lows question is maybe we wrap up our conversation today. Again, thank you. Um, thank you for offering yourself to this summer and to learning and to, to offering it back to us as a community. It's, it's a gift. And I, I know you mentioned having some brochures with BJCs as well as maybe an opportunity for people who want to sign on to be Christians against Christian nationalism. Um, statement. You're, you're welcome to do that today or another day. So I guess high flows question. What do you find most concerning? I, I mean, we've probably gotten to that. You may want to note it, but I think we're there. But conversely, where do you find hope? Um, and, and, and why does this matter again for us? Yeah, I think I spent a good amount of time talking about the low side of this, so I'll focus on the positive here. Um, I think one thing that gives me hope is that Christian nationalism is increasingly talked about in the news. That doesn't mean news coverage is always coverage that I like, but I think it's important that it's being talked about more and more. Um, Christian nationalism just can't hide in anonymity anymore. Um, so it's in the public eye and it's being talked about, and I think that's important. And then I also find hope knowing that churches like Calvary are having conversations like these, even sometimes in the face of criticism. These conversations are critical to educating people and raising awareness of the threats of Christian nationalism to democracy and to our Christian faith. Um, and the continued growth of our campaign, I think, is another source of hope. Like I said, we recently passed 34,000 signers, and we also have many of those signers who have downloaded and used our curriculum and many of our resources to work to dismantle Christian nationalism in their communities. So I think just I guess it's a call to action here. What, what Christians can do is have these conversations, have them loudly. Don't be ashamed of talking about Christian nationalism. You can also go online and read our statement, sign the statement and share it with your community, with your family, um, and have these conversations in church, outside of church. Um, and you can advocate at school boards. Um, you can express your concerns about Christian nationalism infiltrating the public school space, um, and likely you will find that you'll be in the minority voice there as public schoolers might be shocked that Christians themselves are going to be against some of these issues that are going on. But it's an important space where local organizing efforts can have a lot of an impact. Um, and then you can also visit or call or send letters to your local legislators if there is if there are any bills on the House floor that you see as a 
promoting Christian nationalism in the public space. Um, dismantling Christian nationalism is really a huge undertaking, and it's not going to happen overnight. Then um, it requires the engagement and the empowerment of people all across the country to continue to fight this fight in the global context. Thank you again so much. Um, we give thanks for EJC and the work that they're up to. And um, we give thanks just as an aside for, for your summer here with us. It's been good to have you, and we send you off with a blessing as you head back to seminary and keep figuring out and deepening where calling and life is leading you. So know that this morning, even though you're speaking in this capacity, we, we hold you together closely as you as you carry on. Um, I invite you this morning to turn to our hymn, which is for the healing of the nations. It's in your hymnal. If you want to look at the music, it's 668. It's also printed in your hymnal. But I, I just read aloud the first stanza as we prepare to stand and sing it. For the healing of the nations, Lord, we pray with one accord. For just an equal sharing of the things that earth affords, what we talked about last week, particularly as we deepened our thought on equity. To a life of love and action, help us rise and pledge our word. This is a very different pledge, my friends. And I invite you to take it this morning. Let's stand and sing.
of that um, welcome and celebration. Also, just make a note on your calendars for many of you who know the Alcazar, Sean family. Carol Blank lets know that she and Rick are going to be hosting a going away party four years, three years later, yeah. and after. They're going to the beginning of the pandemic, but obviously didn't really get to say goodbye. So they'll be here on the 20th, and Carol's going to host a party that afternoon. So uh, make plans and note of that and plan to come join us. I know a lot of you like to read into these things. One book that I would also add to your lexicon, you will want to throw this book across the room while you read it. But I recommend reading it, especially for those called Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Um, it tells the history and the story of this, a lot of this building up to this moment, and paints very clear pictures about how the French and the not-so-French were very related. Anyway, I, it was perhaps one of the more frustrating books I've read in a very long time, but also one of the most important. And so I do commend it to you. With that, let us go with this benediction. All that kills abundant living, let it from let it from the earth be banned. Pride of status, race, or schooling, dogma, 